Welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mob Podcast. This week, I am joined by executive sous chef Miles Cherry and sous chef Eric DeAngelis, both of 1922 on the square in Newark, Ohio, so just outside of Columbus. This is the first time we've had two guests on simultaneously, so it's a little bit different of an episode. It's also a little bit more kind of casual and free-flowing than some of the episodes that can sometimes be, you know, a little serious in nature, depending on, you know, what the guest is talking about, uh, if it's something relating to their personal life or whatever. So this is a little bit more, I would say, kind of upbeat than some of the episodes we've done in the past, but still informative, still fun. We've tinkered around with possibly having, you know, two guests on at the same time from different restaurant owner and executive chef or something like that. But this is the first time that's actually kind of all come together. So it's really fun to talk to both Miles and Eric. Miles is, you know, basically from the area originally. You know, he's worked at Three Tigers Brewing and a bunch of different places. And we kind of talk about how, you know, he first got into cooking and how he wound up at 1922 on the square. And same for Eric, who's actually from the Chicagoland area and how he wound up here and Newark, Ohio, and then, you know, at 1922 on the square and everything that both are doing now where uh, Miles kind of is the executive sous chef slash kitchen manager where Eric is a sous chef and really handles a lot of the pasta duties, which they kind of get into. But one thing that we also get into, which I don't think we've ever really covered on here is what it's like working at a restaurant and in a kitchen that winds up bringing in a new executive chef. And Garrett Talmadge, who was on this podcast back in the early days uh, when he left Nada and went to Gala Park for a little bit, he's the executive chef over there and has been since uh, I think like November, December of 2021 is when he formally took over the kitchen there. We've been there a couple times. It's a fantastic restaurant. The menu is pretty expansive. The amount of seafood that they have on the menu is pretty crazy, not just for a restaurant in Columbus, Ohio, but even more so for a restaurant located in Newark, Ohio, um, which is just not something you'd really think that you'd see. It's really interesting from that standpoint that what's it like when you're working in a kitchen and they're interviewing other executive chefs and like they want you to talk to them. And this whole thing is just something that we haven't really touched on um, with a couple of the sous chefs that we've had on before. And it's never really kind of come up organically with anybody who's been in an executive chef or anything like that. It's usually them joining an established restaurant. But not being at an established restaurant where somebody new comes in and is trying to put their stamp on things and and change things or reorganize things and whatnot. So super interesting in that regard. You can follow both of them on Instagram. You can find both of them at 1922 on the squares, the restaurant account for miles. It's at kilometer watermelon. um, And he explains the reason for the Instagram handle towards the end of the podcast. And then for Eric, it's just Eric is the name of his account. So both are pretty easy to find. Uh, obviously, we'll tag them in Instagram posts so you guys can find them too as well. Just check out our Instagram uh, at SpoonMob. Check out the website, SpoonMob.com. Make sure to follow, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. We're on all the platforms. Uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Episodes come out on there a week later after they debut on the podcast platforms. So make sure to check out all that stuff. Without any further delay, here is my conversation with Chef Miles Cherry and Chef Eric DeAngelis of 1922 on the Square in Newark, Ohio. Appreciate you guys taking some time to come on the podcast. Uh, we've had the chance to eat at 1922 on the Square there a couple of times. Uh, it's been great every time you've been in there. Really different than I feel like anything you find in Columbus in terms of you guys have a pretty expansive menu. It's upscale food but pretty casual setting it's always busy um in there whenever we've come in there too as well you guys got a patio downtown newark and everything so i want to kind of get into how you guys both wound up at 1922 but you know i did as much research as i could there's not a whole lot available on the internet about either of you guys eric or miles so we'll start off kind of where i always start off we'll start with miles first how did you kind of first get into cooking? Was that just something you fell into in, in high school or first job or? Yeah, so it was freshman year of high school, I think. A bunch of my friends, they all got this job serving at uh, this little ice cream shop. You know, I was like, well, I want to do that. And so I went and applied and they were just like, well, we need a dishwasher. I'm very hyper and obnoxious. So it really made sense that they, they kind of stuck me in the back. I did that for probably about a year and within that year a restaurant right next to where i was working was like hey do you want to wash dishes here and i was like yeah sure and it was a little diner and i think from there i worked there for for the rest of high school maybe a little bit after 
washing dishes eventually was shorter to cook had to like talk to people at the little bar while you're cooking their eggs and I, I'm not the most social person when it comes to like stuff like that. So it was kind of a challenge, but you learn a lot of things you shouldn't do from people you work with when you're younger. After that, I worked at a couple different pizza places. I worked at the OU, like food banquet hall. I only did that for like three months and then I moved back and I had a girlfriend. She ended up pregnant and pretty much after that, I just continued cooking food. I worked at the pub in Granville. I worked at Snapshots. I've worked at several different food trucks. I've always loved food. I love the chaos of being in the kitchen, I guess. Like when you're busy, like nothing matters. Like you're just all you have to focus on is just cooking it. And you can go from like 5 p.m. And the next time you look up and you're like, holy shit, it's nine. Like, I don't know what I did. Like you look around, whole place is a mess. Like, you know, you might've made someone cry in the middle of it. You don't remember. That's just kind of how I got into food Been doing it ever since then. What about you, Eric? How did you first kind of get into food? Was it kind of similar situation? No, not even close. I was in construction until I was in my mid twenties. I had just gotten out of prison and my brother had me watching his house for a week. Uh, he had extra room. So I was like, Hey, if I find a job, I'm not moving out. And uh, I just kind of walked out the back door and there was this burger restaurant that I could see from the back porch. And I just went in there off happenstance just to see if they needed help. The owners had actually fired their son who was a cook there. And so I just kind of slid right into his spot. They were like, you know, do you have any experience or anything like that? I was like, no, but I studied some books while I was in prison. You can look at my Instagram and they're like, I don't even know what the fuck Instagram is. You know what I mean? So they just kind of like took a chance and gave me a job. But it was kind of a poorly run place to, to say the least. You know what I mean? They were selling rotten food. The owner was smoking crack in the back room and all kinds of, sh- all kinds of, dude, it was wild. Uh, I was only there for like a month though, but I'd always had intentions of having my own like food truck or something like that. But like all the entrepreneurial books that I'd studied said that you need at least five to 10 years experience. So once I got into that restaurant, I realized pretty quickly that I needed to learn a lot. And also I did not need to learn it there. And so I got a, a second full-time job at this like kind of upscale Cajun place. I was washing dishes and working the fryers there. I've only been cooking for about three and a half years at this point. Up until now, I've been in two kitchens, just trying to learn as much as I can and grinding as much as I can. You know what I mean? Just putting my nose down and trying to get it done, you know? You guys both from Ohio originally? I'm from Granville. So I've been in this area pretty much my whole life. I moved down to Athens for a little bit. All my friends went there and then... Came back up here and lived here ever since. I'm actually from the Chicagoland area. I moved to Indiana when I was like 18. and I just moved to Ohio about nine months ago. Uh, I was out here visiting some family. I was only supposed to be here for two weeks. But then there was uh, some opportunities came up as far as like housing goes or whatever. And I didn't even decide if I was going to take it. I knew that I needed somewhere to cook. And I was just kind of looking around Newark. And the only place that I really wanted to go was 1922. Like there was no second option. So uh, they opened at four. I knew around one, one thirty that somebody in, would be in there that I need to talk to. So I just kind of stumbled in through the alley and opened the back door and started yelling, hello, hello. There was no answer. So I just walked in the back door and started trying to find somebody. And that's where I stumbled on Miles. Talked for maybe like five, 10 minutes. And they were like, yeah, you need to come back tomorrow and meet the owner. Fast forward. I went home, put my two weeks in at my other job and then uh, been at 1922 ever since. He walked in the back door. We were in the middle of like having no one. We were like three people down in the restaurant. Like me and uh, Luke, who was the other sous chef at the time, were there like every day. We had just kind of parted ways with our last executive chef. That's a whole nother story (laughs) I won't get into. But so he went his own way. And, you know, I at that point was like doing everything in the back. And Luke was pretty much managing at night. So we were trying to get anyone we could, you know, people are putting applications <laughs> in, but you're getting people that come in to interview and then just never show up again. You're like you think they're promising, like even dishwashers are like, yeah, no, we'll start you out like $13 an hour. And they're like, oh, really? And we're like, yeah, come in, dishwash. No shows. Like COVID was a wild time for that. Like <laughs> it seemed like a lot of people just needed the interviews to like kind of get through, I guess. I don't know more than the actual job. Well, yeah. I mean, unemployment, I think you have to prove and prove is like very loose terminology here, but you do have to like show that like you apply to two jobs a week or or something like that too. So, I mean, you might be onto something if that was kind of during that time period. 
which it's still pretty crazy that you're just getting people to come in, like actually do the interview and then just never showed back up again, never called, never followed up, nothing. I mean, I came to 1922, I want to say in September of 2020. So it was like after the shutdown and everything, I had been at the Cherry Valley Hotel as a sous chef there. I started there basically when they rebranded or a new company started there. And I was under Chef Robert Olinger, his executive sous chef, who was Virgil Stem. We got our asses handed to us like for months. And then that day, like we kind of saw it coming because you start seeing travel, like slow down. We're a hotel. So like you start seeing it and then everyone's freaking out. And then they just came to us one day and they're like, yeah, so we are shutting down. We're all kind of like, what the fuck do we do? I think I was home for eight weeks or something. And I think by the end, like I'd been talking to Virgil the whole time. He was just like, uh, I think they're bringing us back. And so we went back in and it just, the whole thing had changed. They had fired the exec chef that was there, replaced him with uh, a guy who was the catering chef. And when we came back, he was just like, yeah, so what we're going to do is we're pretty much going to transition from doing all scratch like, we're going to get stuff in. We're just going to serve these cold pizzas that we get from GFS. Virgil, he was fucking probably the best chef I've ever worked for. He cooked in, like, Italy, Hawaii, Portland, like, all these really nice places. I think he died a little bit at that time when, like, they were telling us this. And I was like, well, I've been putting my application out there. If you don't start taking interviews, like, you're going to regret it. So, like, he kind of pushed me away, and then he went out west i believe right now he's actually in the philippines opening a restaurant that guy's crazy like i love that dude yeah so i came there to 1922 and i started as just a line cook and then i started doing the ordering because like uh, the owner was like so you've done this and i was like yeah for about the last 20 years i've been in kitchens and then i don't know just kind of slowly went from being the line cook to doing everything and then, you know, we kind of went through a transition where it was nobody. And then we went through a long period of time, probably like five months of actually searching for an executive chef, having them come in and talking to them and be like, do you like them? We're like, no, not at all. Eric, you have not been to culinary school, right? No culinary training. No. Miles, you haven't gone either. No. Any interest in either of you miles probably less so i would assume now but eric since you seem really into cooking is that something you think you might look into eventually or are you more about hands-on training i had actually considered it uh before i moved to ohio i was out here visiting my family because i was actually scheduled to start culinary school and uh, i just wanted to come out here before you know like, while i still had the chance or whatever but i was on my way to the school to do like my final class selection and fill out all the paperwork and everything like that my car started overheating I had to go home and I grabbed my mom's car, was on my way back to the school. And I was trying to call and let them know like, hey, I'm going to be late, you know, but I'm on my way. But it was just too late and I missed my chance. So, I mean, honestly, if I would have went to culinary school, I never would have ended up here. The more I consider it, the less I feel like I really need to go, honestly. I mean, I can I can teach myself and I'm good at learning from other people. I'm, you know, I can, I'm not afraid to say I don't know something and ask questions. You know what I mean? So I'm starting to lean more towards just keep on my path. You know what I mean? It's working out great so far. So why switch it up? So Eric, you wind up in 1922, as you said, coming through the back door. Miles, you kind of wind up there after a stint, I think, at Three Tigers Brewing, right? You were working in the kitchen there. I worked there for three years. I wanted to be in the brewing. That's a whole nother story. We can get into that later if you want, like my time there or whatever. Let's go now because you worked there for a decent amount of time. Like they were at least on the ale trail. They might not be anymore because they reshuffled that a little bit for places that are too far out. But because it seemed based on your Instagram, you're really, really into brewing beer for a good amount of time. I was. So basically, I had been working at the Broadway pub in Granville and Snapshots on and off for years. One of my chefs, Andrew Spurlock, like he came to the pub. He was taking over. And I was like, dude, I need a break from this. Like, I need a break from the kitchen. He was like, go, like, go do something. I went to Amazon for about a year. Like, and it was kind of, it was third shift. Like, I went in at like six, got out at like 5 a.m. or something. Like, fuck that. Like, <laughs> you didn't have to think about a damn thing. Like, it was great. You just literally pulled things off shelves and put them in little boxes. But I ended up uh, 
having a friend there that got in trouble and I got pulled into HR and they're like, did he do this? And I was like, I'm not a snitch. And I walked out. Probably not my best decision, but whatever. I walked out into the parking lot that night, like after going to HR and I like called Drew. I was like, hey, I'm going to need a job. He's like, can you start tomorrow? He was running Three Tigers at that time. So I went into Three Tigers the next day and like, I want to say six months later, he stormed out and quit. And the owner was like, can you take over? And I was like, yeah, I can do this. And at that point in time, we had gotten a brewer named Patrick Gangwar, and he had come in and changed all our beers. Like, he was really super nice guy, fascinating. And so he started being like, if you want to learn to brew, come in. So my off days, I was brewing with him, like kind of fun learning. I got to make my own beer there, and that's when I started getting into actually home brewing. Yeah, so I think towards the end of my stint, maybe six months before I got fired from there, he died. He got stage four intestinal cancer. Literally went to the hospital 11 days later, passed away. That changed my whole experience there. Like it wasn't fun anymore. If you look at Three Tigers, like Paige, we used to do these really stupid videos. Like we did some dumb shit for commercials for beer and that was fun. So basically I had been putting in applications because I just wasn't happy there anymore. And then one day one of the servers just pissed me off and I went off and the owner was like, uh, we need to talk. And I was like, no, we don't need to talk. I got interviews. Like, I know what I did. I knew I was in the wrong. So I moved on. And that was kind of my stint there. I would love to get back into like a brewery someday. But right now I'm having a lot of fun at 1922. So you're both at 1922. And like you said, you guys go a period of five months without an executive chef, something like that. And so this process of them bringing in people to interview What's that like? Because obviously the executive chef's going to interview with the owner and then he kind of probably meets you guys, right? Does he wind up doing, you know, a shift in the kitchen or is he just kind of picking your brain to see what you guys are doing or like, because you're both feeling each other out. Is this guy an asshole? Does he think I'm an asshole? Like, It was interesting because a lot of people are like, well, why didn't you just take it over? I have kids and a wife and I kind of had it where I was out of there. I'm out of there generally by four or five, depending on the day. So I can kind of have family time. Luke was taking over at night. And I think it was just Alex was like afraid to tell Luke that he was looking for an executive chef because like he kind of like eased into it. He's like, guys, I'm just letting you know I'm looking for an exec chef. And I was like, great, perfect. Let's do that. We needed somebody there that was going to be the person that is the person in charge of the quality at night. Like, like you have to have someone that's there that wants to be there and actually care. And at that time, Luke was kind of on his way out. He was, I think, tired of the hours, tired of really doing it. <laughs> he loves Veritas, which I mean, obvious. Like their <laughs> their food is amazing. Like I haven't had it, but I look at their pictures, like, uh, and it looks just killer. And so he went and did a stage there. So our joke is that he went there and embarrassed himself so much he had fled the country because he got a one-way ticket to Italy and he's been over in Europe ever since. But <laughs> Yeah, I never broke down a chicken so bad I had to leave the nation, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a joke. I don't know anyone there, so I never like have been able to ask what happened and he's never really told me what happened at the stash, but... If it was really he couldn't break down a chicken, my thought is like, why the fuck didn't you ever ask? Like, We went through maybe six or so random interviews with people that were like applied and they would come in and Alex didn't want to do the interviews so much without us because, you know, at that point I'm running the kitchen, Luke's running the kitchen. If we're not going to get along from the get go, then it's not going to work. So we did have one guy come in. He was an interesting fellow, but we all got the weirdest vibes from him. He walked out and then Luke found his like criminal record. Not like one that you want someone to represent your brand with. <laughs> I think we had one of my old ex like uh, chefs came in and applied, but he just had it too nice at another place. So he was like, nah, I get a whole month off in the beginning of like the year and all this, like you guys can't guarantee that. Forget how long it was until Garrett came in. And I think Garrett came and ate there. I think he interviewed randomly with Alex that night. And then he came in again the next day and we all talked to him. And Luke was like, I don't like him. I was like, I like him. He's fine. He seems like he knows at least a little bit about what he's talking about. Like, I think he came back one more time and walked through the kitchen and kind of hung out with a shift with me. He was like, okay, he went back to work or something to close out his time at uh, Geller Park. We talked a lot when between when he came back and then he was just shadowing me about, this is when we found you. So I think Luke found his podcast on here. 
and all of us listened to it. And then within like the first week of him working there, and then we were just quoting it constantly, <laughs> especially the part where he is the prodigy. I'm sure he loved that because that was just his nickname given to him that he hated already. We also don't call him Garrett. We call him Gary, which I think he's just gotten used to at this point. It was a transition. Like from what we were doing to now, I think we needed somebody like him to come in because, you know, we had talked. We were like, hey, we need to tone our menu down. Like it was getting big. We just kept adding not things off. And when he came in, I was like, dude, we got to trim the menu down. We need to like streamline it. We got product. We're wasting shit. Like it's just not working. So we did end up turning a fair amount of things off. I mean, he likes more. He likes that more. He has a refined palate. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We all just give each other shit constantly. I can't imagine. We just got two new people and they probably just listen to us. And they're just like, wow, these people are our bosses. And they're over (laughs) They're shitty on each other because one iced a cake terribly. Like <laughs> the thing, we have so much fun now, though. It's like, but in the beginning, when he first came in, it was just like weird. Everyone was kind of governing themselves, and then you had Gary come in and be like, "All right, well, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this," and everyone was like, "Who are you?" And then I think Luke took off, and then I think that's when the change finally actually happened. Quite honestly. Yeah, because I mean, I can only imagine like if you're in like an office job, you know, and you get a new boss and the first reaction to everybody as soon as that person announces is like, who's this guy? Like, you know, and you just like and you don't want like anything that guy says. It doesn't matter. He could be like two plus two is four. And like half the people are going to be like, yeah, is it though? You know, like, does he know what he's talking about? So there's that time period where everybody has to just kind of like feel each other out and feel like, is this guy going to wrap me out to HR? Is, you know, how strict is this guy or what's his style and everything? Once you can kind of figure that out and everybody realizes that like the other person isn't going to like backstab them or like be a giant asshole the entire time, like it kind of works out. Well, yeah, you're working next to these people for 40 hours a week, if not more. Like, so it takes getting used to it, but I think... From what we were six months ago like to now, I think we're making better food than we ever have. If you look at the menus and if you actually like knew us and what we're doing beforehand, you can kind of see all of us on there, which is nice. But I mean, if you were to ask Garrett, though, it'd be all him. <laughs> but I told him I wouldn't give him too much shit on here. So I got to watch myself. That's a good point with the menu. I don't know what it was. I saw it right before there was changes when it was pretty big and there's a lot of sections of baby beef, I think, which was kind of what the restaurant was known for at a time. But what exactly is that? Refresh my memory on what that was. It's tenderloin. I think it's just like what they called it when they had the Natoma, which like is what Alex Athan's family, they own the Natoma, which if you've seen like the hundred year anniversary, it's because they had that exact building we're in right now they started the natoma in 1922 so the name is kind of goes for the family towards that and they had it there for 80 years and then i believe uh there was two places before we got it and the building opened and he snagged that up like he was like i'm gonna do it if you look back on their menu which we have a couple which that same tasting menu that's coming up at the end of july has a lot of kind of things we're playing off of the old menus, which should be really good. Like I know talked an awful lot about it, so I haven't seen it, the updated one yet. He's supposed to have it kind of finished before he goes on vacation on Wednesday. So we'll see it then. How much has the restaurant kind of changed since you guys have been there? I mean, I know Eric, you haven't been there super long, but you've gone through some changes just during your time, your six months or seven, eight months that you've been there. But Miles, you've been there a couple of years. I mean, when you look back on when you started to now, like how big of a difference is that? Oh, a lot. Uh, when I first walked in that building, I started having to change things just for health code reasons because we had things just everywhere. And it was just like, this is not right. Like, you can't do this. And the executive chef at the time was like, no, it's fine. Uh, and I was just like, no, it's really not. So from then on, and then just organization wise, Our kitchen was old, like it needed work. And I want to say in March, was that March? April. April. uh, We shut down for about a week and a half, two weeks, and did a complete overhaul, uh, new floors, new walls, 
uh, stainless back wall. Like it's come a long, long way. Like I wish I had a picture from the beginning till now because like it's way better. If you were to walk in there a year and a half ago into the back, you would have been like, holy shit, like what is going on back here? And now you might go, wow, these people kind of aren't working in a shithole. But that's got to feel good to know that, you know, you're just coming out of a pandemic and everything and your owner's willing to spend money and upgrade stuff that you guys are like, hey, like this needs to be fixed. Like we could be way more efficient with this or whatever. He's willing to sink the money into it. That's got to feel good. He was like a part owner of the franchise of Barrel and Boars. And I think he sold out of that. Like he went his separate way just to work on his baby. And no, Alex is probably one of the best like owners I've ever actually worked for with just his honesty about things. Like he'll tell you what we're making, what we're doing. Cause he knows that, you know, we're the people that are making the money. So why lie to us about it? Cause we can honestly see it. His plans for the future are great. Like he already has several different concepts he wants to work on and just moving forward and wanting to involve us all and help us all grow. I mean, just from my point of view, from me being kind of in this town and never really leaving because I just started having children because I'm stupid. It always was kind of about like, I need a job, I need a job. And you listen to some of the people on your podcast and they have like all these experiences like going to Noma or going over to France and staging and staging here. Like that all sounds super awesome. I would love to have done that, but that was never feasible, I guess, in my life. I mean, you still can stage in American restaurants, too. I think that's something that kind of gets lost. Like, I mean, I'm sure you could find a couple of restaurants around Columbus that you could stage if you just wanted to learn. I would want to take a vacation and see if like BJ's or like uh, Chapman's or whatever, like if they want to do one or that baker you had on. He sounded super cool. Or one of the places up there that was, uh, oh, my goodness, uh, they butcher. Like, that'd be fun because I've never really had an opportunity to break down whole animals. I can break down small ones and some fish, but I just think it'd be cool to just constantly keep learning, keep yourself evolving. Eric, what's the biggest thing that's changed at 1922 since you've been there? Probably like the, the organization and like the whole system. It's a lot more efficient. Things are a lot more streamlined. It makes it a lot easier on us. Which one of you guys does the pastries, the desserts? Is that either one of you? Random people. I kind of was forced into trying to do it, but I don't like desserts. Like, I don't eat them. I'm not a big sweets person. It's kind of been hard on that end. We just got a guy who kind of like now is coming in and doing like our cheesecakes and our peanut butter pie that we're running. I'm still making uh, the one cake. I was doing another cake, but they didn't, people didn't really care for it, I guess. I don't know. It was good, but not good enough. Yeah. Has that been the dessert always kind of been the thing that probably gets passed around like the kitchen, like who's going to get stuck with it? Or if anybody has an idea, like it's kind of open season. Yeah. Well, right now we're supposed to be actually getting pictures and getting an actual dessert menu. So like there's supposed to be constant, but it kind of keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. And by the time we do it, I'll be like ready to change the dessert that I make and then somebody else will want to change the dessert they make and then (laughs) I think I've been making that the carrot cake now for a couple months and I had to adapt it from what Luke was doing because I didn't want to make the exact cake Luke was making but they loved the carrot cake and I was like well that was Luke's carrot cake I got to make my carrot cake or else I just feel like I'm taking from him but I want to do something more oriented to the seasons because you know right now it's big in strawberries and then I want to change though to something more apple or peaches soon. Yeah, no, desserts suck. I I don't like desserts. I bringing them to my kids and seeing if they like them. (laughs) Eric, have you messed around with desserts at all? Is that something that you're interested in? I have not messed around with desserts hardly at all because I too hate messing with desserts. I fucking hate it. Uh, I think it's more just like how meticulous you have to be and like the measurements have to be down to the gram and it kind of just drives me insane. All the numbers start blending together. You know what I mean? So, uh, I mean, it, it has interest me and I've had some ideas, but I really don't work on that kind of stuff a whole lot. I have other stuff that I'm trying to learn and other stuff I'm trying to iron out. You know what I mean? So it just kind of always falls to the back burner. Yeah. I don't know if either of you can explain this to me, but how does a restaurant in Newark, Ohio wind up with more seafood options on the menu than like any restaurant in downtown Columbus? Because the last time we were there, the, I think there was like four or five different seafood dishes in like the one section alone. I don't know. Like uh, Michael's has good seafood. So that's who we pretty much get it through is uh, 
Michael's Meats. I don't know. We've trimmed that down though because some of that stuff, like scallops, were up to like 38 bucks a pound and stuff like that. And it was just killing us. Like at one point, like sea bass was somewhere around that too. And it was just like, holy crap, like we can't keep with this. So I think right now though, we do have, we just have the sea bass. We have mussels, salmon, salmon, mussels, and calamari if you want to. Yeah, calamari. Uh, Oh yeah, we have the tuna. I guess the real answer is we have a lot of seafood because that's what we like to do. Yeah, we like to eat it. (laughs) (laughs) The tuna with the frigo sarda is so good. That's probably my favorite dish that's on the menu. So is that like the kitchen's thing? Like pretty much everybody in there likes to work with seafood? I don't think it's so much that. I just think it's like everyone kind of just spews ideas. And Gary took all of our ideas and was like, okay, let's try this and this. And then when we went to do the menu and just kind of all blended into what it was like i think i was letting i was like hey we need to do some sort of medium rare tuna because it's probably my favorite thing to eat and he was like okay let's do this and then we had been messing around with frago asarda on a special once and yeah, i think he, grouper. yeah and so he threw that like with that and salmon you just you can't get salmon off the menu that's probably like our biggest seller except for steaks and we're a steakhouse so like i don't know like we go through so much salmon it's absurd i don't think any of us really have well eric kind of has a specialty i guess he loves pasta but i don't know other than that i mean it's just kind of like you go in there and you're hungry one day and you're like i'm gonna mess around with something that turns into a good idea and then that gets played with and you kind of go from there yeah eric if you're super into pasta it's on like amazon there's like six 20 minute episodes i think it's called like handcrafted or something it's by bon appetit did it a couple years ago but like each episode there's like one where they break down tuna and there's one that they break down like a cow, a lamb, but there's a pasta episode. The guy does like four different types of dough and then he just shows you like, oh, if you roll it this way, it's tortellini. If you do it this way, it's this. And you're just like, it's just, a, oh, you went cross instead of vertical and now it's like a whole different thing. Yeah, that's like half of what I spend my time doing in 1922 is coming up with different shapes. I'm actually about to go into work and work on a couple pasta dishes when we get done with this. I got some stuff in the works. With inflation, I mean, you kind of touched on it earlier. How big of a a change has that led to with anything that you guys are doing? I think a couple people talked about prices being absurd, but in the last year and a half, like prices went out of this world. At one point, the tenderloins that we got and we were cutting them ourselves were like almost $28 a pound. Like, and that's like one of our biggest sellers. So our prices just like had to keep going up, which I think it's just the clientele from they clearly were devoted and around here that they kept coming back and getting it. So it never really seemed to hurt us because Alex is always like, he he has me to check prices lots, like constantly. Like I am there to do like the PL. Like I am, I'm the one going through everything to make sure that we're not losing money on this and that. And I'm doing our inventories and stuff. You no, know, it got wild for a while how expensive stuff really was. And then there was all the the stuff you couldn't get. And it would be like, okay, well, I haven't been able to get this in like three weeks. And we print our menu daily, or we used to. And they'd be like, hey, Alex, like, we got to take this off. I can't get it anymore. Like, we got to take this off. And he's like, well, what can we put back on? And I was like, well, let's do this. Let's try that. And we put that on. And I think that's for a while how the menu just started getting so crazy because it was just like, well, we're just switching everything weekly because we got a lot of this and this went down so we can get this, but we can't get that. And it's still kind of like that though. You get on to like buy stuff and you know, I couldn't get diet Coke for the last three weeks. Like I was like, where, where's all the diet Coke right now? I just need bag in a box. It lasts us like two months. Like it's wild. I think last menu, what we have on there, we put it on there and immediately we couldn't get it. Oh, the langostino yeah. for the Arbiato. Gary was all about it. He was like, we're going to do the langostino. And then immediately no one could get it. Like you could not get langostino. So I think we had it for like two weeks and then it was shrimp. Like it was just like, well, we can't get the langostino. So we got to keep it because people like the dish, but it's not the same dish now. So when you guys go into kind of the next menu development session, I'm sure this is a pretty big learning experience where you guys will probably put a lot of dishes on there where you can pretty much have the same core of the dish, but push and pull different ingredients out based on what you can kind of get since I don't think inflation is going to change anytime soon. 
It is. It is based around a lot of using the same things for other dishes and what is going to be fresh at this time of year and so on. But we push through our product for the most part consistently. Right now, we're kind of in our slower period, but it's kind of nice because San Filippo, they're out of Columbus. They're a produce company. Like our rep, I can be like, hey, I need three cucumbers. Like that's all I need. And he'll be like, yeah, I'll get you three cucumbers. Like it's like, I don't want a case of cucumbers because they're going to sit in our walk-in. They're going to rot. I need three. It's stuff like that that kind of is nice because a lot of bigger companies, like you're not going to be able to go to U.S. Food and be like, hey, I just need three of this. They're going to be like, okay, here's 30 pounds of it. Uh, and I'm like, okay, thanks. Now I got to throw it all away. We were using like a bigger disturbing company, but we've kind of switched to more of the local places around here. I tried for a while to use uh, a place out of Mount Vernon. They do like all farm fresh, like stuff like that. They just could only get me a delivery once a week. And for a restaurant to try and get one delivery a week was just not, not something that was feasible. Uh, that was kind of sad, but man, I don't, I think most of what we're getting is fairly fresh. I don't know. I I take my herbs from the garden now because we we bought this house about a year ago now. We put in probably like a quarter acre garden and it's probably just only going to get bigger and bigger. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. That's kind of my wife's thing right now. She She's at work in the other room, but she'll probably, she'll take like her breaks and wanders through the garden, picks weeds and then goes back to work. You're, you know, from the area miles. And then Eric, like you said, you're from Chicagoland. So why do you think people are so apprehensive here in Columbus to drive more than 15, 20 minutes to get to a restaurant? Because I got to imagine most of your clientele at 1922 is from Newark and the surrounding area. And maybe you get some people, you know, from New Albany, Gahanna. I'm sure you could probably count on like a couple hands, the amount of people you get from like Dublin or something like that. But it's a great restaurant. And like, I would encourage people to drive over there and try the food. The menu's huge. Like you're going to find something on there that you want, that you like. But it just doesn't seem like even with the local publications, like 1922 doesn't get any like notoriety or anything. Ghostwriter barely gets anything, you know, and, and they're in Johnstown, which is a bit closer. Okay. So I live about five miles outside of Utica. So like Ghostwriter to me would be the closest actual like good restaurant to where I live. <laughs> the answer of why people don't come into Newark, I don't, I think it's, Newark is just now kind of changing. Like in the last five years, it's gotten better. They're still doing construction on the square, but it was never super nice downtown, the square. Like, you know, it's like, so I could see why people probably are hesitant, but I bet in the next couple of years, I think it will change. I think once New Albany starts to expand with the Intel stuff. I think you're going to get more and more people that are probably going to be willing to kind of travel out to find the other places. Because, you know, New Albany itself is going to expand like crazy. Johnstown is probably going to expand like crazy with everything that's going to go on. Oh, Utica might even expand because I'm just right down 62 from that. Like, it's going to be interesting to see what all this Intel stuff kind of does to change the, the landscape and how it goes. But... Eric loves driving. He drives to Chicago when he gets on his days off. <laughs> Me, I drive home and I drive back. That's about all I do. Eric, you know, being from the Chicagoland area, getting to places is just like a normal part of life. I also think it has something to do with like why people aren't necessarily jazzed as much about 1922 is just like the food culture around here. You know what I mean? where there's a lot of like still classic meat and potatoes. Like I only want fucking pot roast the way my grandma makes it. You know what I mean? They'll like, they'll look at our prices and not realize what they're getting for what they're paying. You know what I'm saying? They just want to go to a diner, get some biscuits and gravy for five bucks and then fuck off back to the field. You know what I mean? So I think it's, it's kind of some of that to where like maybe some of uh, the people around Newark aren't necessarily ready to, to be involved in a food culture like that to where like I come from, where there's amazing restaurants on every single corner, you know what I mean? And there's world-renowned chefs all over the place. I just kind of like grew up in that in that mindset of that being cool to me, you know what I mean? Where maybe not so much out here. They like Jeeps. They're not super into scallops, <laughs> you know what I mean? But he was asking why people in Columbus wouldn't want to drive to Newark. He kind of hit on It's just it's not part of the, the culture where Chicago it is. Like Chicago, it's like, cool, I want to go to this great restaurant, whatever it takes to kind of get there. And Columbus is kind of like well, whatever's within my 20 minute range. 
I mean, to be fair though, like, you know, I didn't even know about half of these great restaurants that now like I follow them on Instagram and that's you. Like I listened to your podcast and I was like, holy crap, like these people have amazing stories. They sound like they're doing amazing things. Like I want to go eat them. We ate Oreos the other day. That sandwich was so good. So good. That's just a simple sandwich. Like to me, that's like the pinnacle. If you can make something that's like that good and it doesn't have to be crazy. Like it's just got to the flavors just to be perfect. And I don't know, that's the food I like. Give me your best Garrett Talmadge story from your time working with him so far, each of you. And it can't be the same one. (laughs) (laughs) So about two days ago, yeah. um, Our new guy, uh, Andrew, he comes in on a skateboard. He like does photography, like takes photos of people skateboarding and stuff. And Garrett was like, oh, I'm just going to ride this around the kitchen. And so I'm standing there. I think I was cutting something up and I just look up and he goes behind me and goes around in front of our three base sink. And all I see is just <laughs> just boots in the air. Yeah. <laughs> he gets up and he's like, oh, oh, there's just a puddle of water here. I was like, yeah, that was the problem, Garrett. That was the problem. <laughs> I'm trying to think of any other good stories. We hired this new guy and um, he had you know, a bunch of years experience making pizzas and stuff, but I think he was just kind of outclassed by like what we were doing here. It's gotta be crazy to like be at a place for 10 years and know exactly what's going on. And then now all of a sudden you're being told what to like, do. Like don't know a single thing about what's going on. You know what I'm saying? And he built this salad wrong. It's supposed to have pralines, but the dude put peanuts on it. He never came back. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm kind of the opinion, like, if you can't take the heat, you need to get out of the kitchen. If that's if that is what's gonna ruffle your feathers, you weren't supposed to be here anyways. Because we're gonna say a lot worse shit to each other just for fun. Yeah, we can be not real nice to each other <laughs> and not be serious whatsoever. Yeah. I've I've worked in kitchens where I've had things thrown at me by the person in charge where you know I fucked something up. And my problem is when I get yelled at, I grin and that <laughs> pisses them off even more. I think one of like my favorite people I've well, he's a good friend of mine, but Drew, he he had me do something one time for like this takeover we were doing. And he just gave me a bunch of things to do. And I combined two of them together. And he came back and he was just like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, I'm just doing what you said. He's like, no, that's supposed to be separate from that. And I was just like, oh, and just like poured it out. And he like stormed out and came back in, was kicking it at me. And I'm just like, (laughs) I wasn't helping the situation because I found it hilarious. And I could have just redone it in about three minutes. But instead, I had to make a giant mess and piss him off. But that's just the asshole in me. We had a new guy we just hired. I really like him, but I affectionately refer to him as dickhead. Kitchen culture is an interesting place. Like, you know, you talk to like, people that worked in, like, you know, three-star Michelin places, and, like, they're dead serious, like, constantly, and then we're never dead serious. So we'll probably never be a three-star Michelin restaurant. <laughs> we would love to, you know, do some stuff and maybe one day get recognized. Maybe not win a James Beard, but maybe get nominated or something. Well, I mean, some people say, you know, the nomination is way more valuable than actually winning the award just because you always get this uptick in business, apparently, from whenever that nomination list comes out and everything, too. So I feel like the James Beard Foundation, too, every once in a while, they really like to throw some, like, just random restaurants in there that are in just obscure towns that you've never heard of. So like if 1922 got nominated for something, it, it would say Newark, Ohio. Like it wouldn't be Columbus, Ohio. Like they purposely put Newark just so people would be like, where's Newark? I think we have some growing to do still. I mean, to say that like what Alex wants to do and expand and do other things. So, you know, in the next two years, like if we have more places, like, you know, Gary might be at another place, like what he wants to do. I might be at a place that I want to do or, and he will be at another place. We, we don't know. Like, you know, I will say this, we don't have any Italian restaurants in Newark. Yeah. Not any that I'm interested in going to anyways. Yeah. Yeah. The Olive Garden. Now that they've done some of the renovations that there is a lot of opportunity. It's obviously not the same size as Dayton, but Dayton seeing, you know, they revitalized part of their downtown and everything. And there's some cool restaurants and concepts that are coming in there. And it's just, it's more affordable to open something there and you have a little bit more freedom to try stuff than you would in a bigger city, you know, Chicago, like you can't open something on a whim. Like if you're not dialed in, you're just going out of business in six months. 
your food is trash, they will let you know. Yeah, definitely will not survive. You might get a brick through your window if you sell a bad beef sandwich there, man. I'm excited to see kind of the future and what we do. Like, I think all of us are still growing. Like, I'm the oldest person. This. I'm 35, so, you know, it's, I've been doing this for a while. But, you know, I still enjoy learning new things every day. So if I see someone doing something, I'm going to ask them what they're doing and why. Like, I'm not just going to kind of wander away and be like, well, that was cool. I, I want to know why they're doing it, how they're doing it, and... I buy cookbooks like a stupid amount. I also have a bad case of ADD, so I mainly look at pictures. I love looking at pictures uh, of food. Instagram is probably the greatest thing ever because of that. A handful of more questions for you guys. A lot of these we asked everybody comes on the podcast, so you probably kind of know some of them that are coming, but a couple uh, unique ones before we get there. So this question comes from the previous guest on the podcast, chef owner, Michael Knoll of Bardo uh, down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, he left behind a question. When you were a kid, what is one food you said you would never eat that you're eating now? Fucking mushrooms. I just started liking mushrooms like a few months ago. Just like the texture always just gave me the willies, dude. I don't know. But now I actually do like them. That's a tough one because... That I still hate it. You give me straight mayonnaise on a sandwich, I am not going to eat it. I just, I hate mayo, but you like put some flavoring in that called mayoli, like I'll probably eat it. So it's a, that's, a, that's a weird one for me. I just, I hate the flavor of just mayonnaise. I don't know why. It just grosses me out. Always has. All right. So you guys got to come to an agreement, but what's a question that you guys want to leave behind for the next guest on the podcast? Would you rather burn yourself or cut yourself? So this question comes from uh, one of our listeners. Which do you prefer to eat and which do you prefer to cook, pie, cake, or ice cream? I prefer to eat ice cream, I guess. I prefer to make cake because it's pretty easy. Cheesecake, 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 (laughs) cheesecake. The only dessert that matters. No, I had uh, last year for our restaurant week you know i was just dicking around with stuff and i saw someone something on instagram that was like avocado ice cream i was like i'm gonna try that for our little like five course like menu as a dessert option i was making it every day like i had no idea that people liked avocado ice cream i just thought it was funny like i was like oh and it was tasty but everyone wanted to try it like and i just had one of those like two quart ice cream makers that i bought and i was like I'm going to try and do this. And then I regretted my decision after a week of doing that every day. <laughs> That's the same thing that uh, Tyler Stemmer, who's the chef at Pleasantry in Cincinnati, had happened. He made like a Parmesan ice cream. It got picked up in like some sort of magazine or, or somebody famous came in and ate there or something and like posted a picture of it. And then he was like, "That's everybody just came in and ordered that. And he was just saying, shit. Who was the biggest influence on your cooking career thus far? So Andrew Spurlock probably taught me the most because I worked for him three separate times. He taught me the most about like managing an organization. But then when I worked for Virgil Stem, he was probably the first person I had ever worked with that like truly was just like fucking amazing chef. And like <laughs> when we worked through COVID, like we would be dead and we'd be just sitting outside smoking cigarettes and like he'd be like, all right, so concept idea, let's what's a whole menu with potatoes and then it'd be like we would just go through five courses like you know let's start off with potato week soup so let's do like a little slider with potato bread like every course had to have potatoes and we did it like four or five times every day like and that guy like he gave me a like one of a couple of his cookbooks because he had like cookbooks that are like this that he made with drawings and stuff and he'd be like here take these home like look at them that guy just like lived and breathed food. And I think he was probably the most inspirational, like towards actually showing me that food doesn't have to be just fucking meat and potatoes. You can do anything you want. And it's all about flavor. And are you happy? And like, there's such like a cookie cutter thing around here where everybody, especially in like, you know, a smaller town like Newark, where it just always like, you know, you have the same food at every place. Like Chinese restaurants are going to have the same things that this one has that's right next door. And it's like, are they good? Probably not because they don't care. Like if you care, you're going to make good food. So like he was a boss. Like I like him. I would love to work with him again someday. So 
I hope he comes back out this way, but I, I doubt he will. I don't think he ever plans on coming back to Central Ohio. <laughs> uh, I'd say uh, biggest influence in my personal life would be my uncle. Uh, I've seen him run multiple businesses at one time, you know what I'm saying, since I was a little kid. Uh, he's the first person I knew personally that was actually having fun in kitchens and making money doing it. And I'd say professionally, my biggest influence would be a, a chef that I worked for very early in my career named Ryan Jones. Like he was a classically trained chef. So he was the first one that told me what a Berblanc was and started teaching me the five mother sauces and trying to like show me how to properly braise something. You know what I'm saying? Just like really drilling in the fundamentals and getting me into having good habits. So I'd say my uncle and Ryan Jones for sure. What's one kitchen item that's not a knife that you can't live without? Vitamix. Yeah, food processor. Restaurant you guys would recommend that isn't your own, so that's not 1922 on the square? I love breweries, and the Dank House in Newark is making some amazing beers, but they have a another company that works for them, and they're Munchies, and they're doing some awesome taco stuff like uh, Birria Ramen. Some I don't know. I just I love the food they're doing. Like tastes good. Uh, we go there every now and then. We don't often go out, but like if we're gonna go somewhere, we more than often, more than likely, we're probably gonna go there and get some tacos. Uh, I'd say locally, probably Loops. One of the biggest problems I've had finding out here is a gyro. I cannot find a good gyro to save my fucking life. But Loops in Columbus are actually some Greek guys from Chicago who moved out here and opened the gyro shop, and it's definitely a taste of home when you walk in there. I think they also have a food truck, too. Yes, they do. So bucket list uh, travel destination, bucket list restaurant. So place you guys haven't visited that you want to go to, and then place you want to eat at that you've been. I really want to go to uh, Thailand. <laughs> like that is probably like my number one country I would like to go visit. I mean, also I've heard so many stories from Vietnam. I would love to go go to Vietnam, but I mean, I'd also like to go to Japan. But hell, our friend Luke is in Europe right now, and he's sending me pictures daily and. That looks fun too. Going to France or, but Thailand. I want to go to Thailand and there, I want to eat street food. That is like straight up my number one place I'd like to go. Yeah. Uh, next on my list is Alenia in Chicago. I definitely want to go to a Grant Ackett's place, dude. Yeah. He's insane. The stuff he produces is next level. And that's definitely something I need to experience very soon. French laundry or that would be pretty awesome to go to. I mean, they're both like, Top tier, yeah. best restaurants in the entire country. So that'd be fun. Oh, shout out Purple Pig in Chicago, too. That I just went recently. It was delicious. Everything was amazing. Craziest thing you've seen happen while you're working in a restaurant? I don't know. I worked at uh, this bar and grill for a while early in my career, and it was in like not the highest quality of people in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? So we had people overdosing in the parking lot sometimes. Like I came out in the backyard and there was somebody asleep out there. I've had to like, I was the cook there, but I've had to like toss people out of the bar because it's like some like little old lady who's working the bar. So I got to go out there and like bounce people out. I'm trying to think of like a single craziest story from the restaurant though. I don't know. I'm coming a blank right now. Craziest thing. I mean, through my time in restaurants, there's been a, a lot of yeah. dumb shit I've seen. <laughs> so much shit. Uh, I saw a girl about cut her thumb off on a slicer. One time it was in the middle of August, and we had just worked a fucking... There, Granville has a street fair, and so like we had just done mad numbers. And we were getting... It was like five, and we're switching shift, and me and the other guy were leaving... And there's a guy cleaning gutters right outside. He's on a ladder and he's got a power washer. He sprays, gets himself knocked down the ladder, completely falls down, leg in the spokes, twists like the whole leg. His leg is split all the way up. Like you can see his everything. It was, it was nasty. Uh, so we like run over like, are you okay? And this guy was like, I gotta keep going. And we're like, dude, like we can see your bones like and muscle coming out of your leg. And he's like, oh, okay. He's like, I gotta pack my truck up. And so he's like stumbling around bleeding everywhere. And we're like, dude, just here's, the t we got like a shit ton of kitchen towels. We're like, okay, we're taking you to the hospital. And he's like, insisting he's got to lock his truck up. Like we're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like 
And we, we went in and we're like, hey, guys, can you get all this stuff in here and lock his truck up? We got to take him to the hospital. Oh, we did that. Uh, I've seen fist fights in the girls' bathroom where, like, uh, just mad nights of women that are just way too drunk, like, smashing beer bottles in the bathrooms, like, trying to flush them. And restaurants could get ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know. I've cut my finger off a couple times, like, and then basically had to tape it and keep on working. Those are fun. <laughs> I dropped fryer grease on myself when I was 17. Food or drink guilty pleasure. Is there anything that you guys, you know, fast food, candy, whatever, that's just terrible for you, but uh, you can't help it? At this point in time, I'm lucky enough to drive completely by, like, there's no fast food on my way home because if there was a Taco Bell on my way home, it would be every single night. Like I can't help it. I love Taco Bell. It is like a culinary institute. And you might even hang me for this, man. I love the frozen microwave White Castles. I have no. <laughs> they're disgusting. They're <laughs> disgusting. But I can't stop eating them. But since uh, Miles, you, you answered Taco Bell for that one. The customary follow-up is, what is your Taco Bell order? Okay, so I generally get like two Dorito Locos, a Crunchwrap Supreme, and a Nacho Supreme, and then I have to proceed to eat them immediately. Like you can't let Taco Bell sit. I live about thirty minutes away from the nearest Taco Bell, so like I'm not driving home and eating that. Like you got, you got to eat it right then and there. It's I don't know what's in that stuff. I don't want to know, but it's delicious. Favorite Instagram account you guys follow? Food-wise, I mean, I don't even know. I follow so many different... I probably have hundreds of food places I follow. But like, just ones that I like popping up are just anyone with dogs. So like that's, dog videos are probably my favorite. Yeah, I've been watching tons of otter videos lately on my <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> I got this fat boy down here. He's just waiting to be loved. Favorite dish thing you ever cooked, created, you know, kind of looking back through your career, you can kind of point to it as being the moment that you knew you could be a professional chef, like, you know, be a professional cook. No, I've tried to think about this because I've heard this asked so many times. I really just don't have a good answer for this. I don't know because I feel like I'm still not good enough every day. It's kind of my problem. <laughs> Like, you know, there's stuff I make where I'm like, I know it tastes good, but I'm never happy with it. I just always think I can be better. And I always plan on trying to be better. And maybe one day, like, you know, if we do this again in a year or so, I might have an answer for you. But right now I don't have one. I would say uh, because I really like original ideas. And there's not a lot of times where you like where I'll have an idea and I'll try and find something similar online and I can't find it. You know what I mean? So I would say the thing that would be my signature would be a salmon egg roll burger that I came up with. It was just salmon patty with like a honey ginger slaw and some sriracha mayo with like wonton sheets on it. But uh, and like everything bun. And it's not like next level culinary stuff necessarily, but nobody else has done it that I've been able to find. And so it's like one of those things where it was definitely one of the first moments where I was like, oh, shit. I actually might have some ideas floating around in this head of mine. You know what I mean? It was kind of a surreal moment where like the first time I tried to find something comparable to the dish that I wanted to do and there was nothing to be found. I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan. Not everybody is. If you were episode moment scene, anything stand out? If you weren't, is there anybody else culinary personality that you kind of gravitated towards? I've not watched a whole lot of his actual shows, but I have definitely listen to his books multiple times. I'm a big audible listener because I do a lot of prep. So I put my ear pods in and I listen, but like, uh, yeah, him, Michael Ruhlman, like I love his stuff. Like, I don't know. It's a, but as for like a television personality, I don't think I really particularly have one. I watch anything that's on Netflix or like, you know, on TV, a streaming service I have, but particular one, not so much. I'm also terrible with names, so I could watch you make food like 37 times, and I'd be like, ah, I see the face. I have no idea who that is, though. Uh, for me, it would probably be Evan Funky. I'm super big into like classic Italian food and handmade pasta and stuff like that, and I'm kind of of his school of thought where your pasta should never fucking touch a stand mixer. You know what I'm saying? It should be made by hand every single time. Like That's how you get it right. You have to be able to feel it, and you have to 
know what the doe's experiencing to know what it needs. You know what I'm saying? It's not necessary probably, but it's one of the one of the little quirks that I have that I'm really serious about my pasta. I don't even let people touch it at the restaurant. Nobody's allowed to make pasta besides me. No, I, I don't make pasta because he's really particular. Even though I'm the one that came to the restaurant and started making fresh pasta, but I don't mess with the pasta anymore. <laughs> Where can people find you guys? Social media, website, all that stuff. Plug it. I would just follow 1922. Yeah. Uh, you guys want my phone number? <laughs> <laughs> I have an Instagram. It's at Kilometer Watermelon. What's the deal with the name? When I got Facebook years ago, I made my name Kilometer Watermelon because I thought I was hilarious because Miles, Kilometer, Cherry, Watermelon. A couple years ago, they made me change it because they were like, send us your ID. What's your actual name? And I was really annoyed, but Instagram didn't change it. So yeah, it's just a play on my name. And Eric, you're on Instagram too as well, right? Yeah, my Instagram is it's just Eric. Like that's the the name, the three words. It's just Eric is the name. No punctuation, anything like that. Yeah, and then 1922 on the square. And you guys are open every day, right? Yes. Yep. It'll already have happened, but you guys were doing like a hundred year anniversary dinner, I think, or something like that. Yeah, it's going to be eight courses, I believe. Yeah, it might come out the day that you were saying. Yeah, all the reservations will be booked up probably by the time this airs. So hopefully if you have one, great. If not, then, oh, well, you missed out on it, I guess. Well, we'll see. I mean, it should be fun. Like We have a bunch of, uh, we're starting to do wine dinners. That's coming up. We're going to be doing beer dinners, bourbon dinners, cigar nights. Like we're, we're trying to like, we've had a couple meetings in the last week the end of July. So we're going to do a menu change then, but like, you know, three to four months of the same menu, you know, it starts getting a little, the same thing every day. Like, and I think it was uh, Daniel who talked about how, you know, like in the beginning when you're rushing and you're behind, that's when it's the best. And then once it starts getting stale, like, you know, you start taking shortcuts, you start like, so we're always in talks on how to keep our food fresh and not get bored, I guess. I mean, for us, like doing the same thing every single day is just tedious. With the, guys, <laughs> with the guys we got, we have no shortage of ideas. We're always firing shit off every single day. It seems like I'm coming to Garrett with a new menu item that I want to put on. He's, he tells me no, but I still tell him about it. You know what I mean? He just tells me that I should run a pub, which is really all I want to do because I fucking love pub food. This has been a lot of fun. This is definitely a, a little bit of a different departure from what we normally do. Just, I mean, we rarely have two people on at the same time, so that's different in itself. But yeah, 1922 is an awesome restaurant. I mean, we've had nothing but great experiences there. The food is delicious. The menu is, like I said, surprising how big it is um, still, even that you guys, you know, pared it down from what it was. And it's always busy. Um, they got the patio out front, bar side, restaurant side. It's worth the drive, in my opinion. See what you guys are putting out. Yeah, literally, if it wasn't for 1922, I wouldn't have moved to Ohio. That was my deciding factor was this place. There was, like I said, there was no there was no plan B. If they said they didn't need help, I was going back home. Keep doing what you guys are doing. Uh, looking forward to new dishes and, and stuff and ideas that you guys come up with. There's always like a chef's feature, I think, like every week that you guys do on the weekends and stuff, too. So. That's always cool to see. But yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be seeing you guys soon. Stopping back in and um, trying some other stuff on the menu that we haven't had yet. Yeah, we'll try and convince Gary to get back on with you. I think we, we might have broken him. He's a little afraid to get back on here <laughs> after how much we made fun of him for some things. But Awesome. Thanks, guys. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. No, it was good talking to you. This was fun. A big thanks again to both Miles and Eric for taking some time out of kind of one of their mornings, afternoons, and coming on the podcast, chatting about their careers, how they wound up in Newark, Ohio, and at 1922 on the square, and everything that's gone on at the restaurant, and everything that they've changed and and are doing now too as well. Like I said, it's it's an awesome place to go. It's kid friendly too as well, um, which is actually kind of hard to find some places that are a little bit more elevated with the cuisine that they're doing that also accommodate small children, kind of this weird gray area that doesn't kind of exist, having to, to look into things firsthand. It's really good food and they have some of the best seafood options that you're going to find in Columbus too as well. So, you know, if you're on the east side of Columbus, it's maybe a 15, 20 minute drive, you know, a little bit farther than that, um, depending on, you know, if you're on the west side, it's Maybe closer to possibly 30, 40 minutes, but it's definitely worth the drive to go out there. They're open every day um, too as well. 
So you, it's really hard to find restaurants that are open on Mondays and also Sunday nights for dinner. They're few and far between, and, and they're one of the few that's open for both those times. They're also open for lunch, brunch too as well. So make sure to check them out if you've never been. Follow them on Instagram at 1922 on the square. You can follow Miles at Kilometer Watermelon. You can follow Eric at It's Just Eric. And also follow us on Instagram at SpoonMob. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever preferred podcast platform that you use. Um, Apple and Spotify are the main ones, but we're on Amazon Music and Google and Stitcher and all the other smaller players. We're on everything. Uh, make sure to check out the website, SpoonMob.com. We have a bunch of different contact information, food photos, a whole bunch of stuff on the website. So um, if you're looking for something specific on one of our guests, we probably have it up there. Feel free to write in questions, comments, feedback. If you can't find what you're looking for or have a question or anything like that, you can reach us either through the contact portal on the website or just email us directly, spoonmob at yahoo.com, and, and we'll get back to you. Appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate continuing to grow pretty much every month, adding new listeners and new followers and everything. So Really appreciate everybody who's tagging along here. If you're a longtime listener, thank you. If you're new, welcome. And uh, we will talk to you guys next week.